My name is Suzanne and here I have one and a half metres away from me is Ethan Crawshaw. Hello. Roughly. <laughs> For a lot of us that have actually seen what's going on lately with online church, we um, have seen his hard work and what goes on behind the scenes um, with a lot of coordination with Ethan's team. So Ethan, to get to know you a little better, um, what do you do during the week? And tell us how um, you come to put all this together for us and a bit about yourself, really. Cool. Uh, so, yeah, as you said, I, my name's Ethan and I actually am a uni student. So I'm studying at University of Wollongong doing communications and media, uh, which actually kind of ties into a lot of this stuff, which is really great. And I'm really interested in making videos and doing all that kind of stuff. So when this, when this happened, I was able to then... Um, use a lot of the skills I've been learning and honing to kind of get into this, which is, which is, yeah, which was a real blessing actually. But it, it's actually not, it's not just me at all. The rest of the team is amazing and I couldn't do half of this uh, on my own. So I'm really stoked that um, a lot of people have really pulled together in this time actually and done this. Um, yeah, well, did that answer your question? Yeah, it did. So um, Ethan's a bit of a quiet achiever. Um, so tell us, Ethan, um, how is all this affecting you? So you're obviously keeping busy with voluntarily putting all your time into what's going on with online church, with your team. Um, is there anything else you're doing outside of that? Or um, does that time not leave you too much time for spare? Yeah, well, actually, this is keeping me really, really busy, which is good because um, otherwise I wouldn't have much to do. So other than uni, um, I, don't have a, I don't have a job anymore, which is... I like it's not. I haven't lost my job, but I've been reduced hours, so I don't have a job. But um, but that's okay. The government's been doing some stuff with money and stuff, so hopefully I'll get onto that. And um, yeah, it's actually just meant that I have lots of time to put into this and put into uni, and um, which is all now online. So I don't have any of the travel time either. So um, I'm getting lots. I'm get, I'm trying to keep myself really busy by doing a lot of church stuff, which is um, actually quite fun. Thank you, Ethan. Um, I know we all want to thank you for your time um, and thank your team as well. And, of course, your father, the pastor of our church. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so we're now going to pray. So if you would like to bow your heads and pray with me um, as best you can with kids and whatever's going on in the background of your house. Our gracious and loving God. On this special day, you gave us your son who has been resurrected and living actively and intimately with us and in us through your Holy Spirit. Only through your resurrection do we have eternal life and a living hope. Nothing in this life or world can compare to your grace, mercy and love for us. A love that we cannot truly fathom. You are intimately involved and in control of your world. For those that believe in you, we can call ourselves your people. We can come to you confidently like a child to their parent. May we humbly acknowledge and be grateful for the greatest gift of salvation. Thank you that you have conquered death. Help us to rely on you for our strength, especially as we think of those around us who are anxious through these challenging and unknown times. May all people be still and know that you are a mighty and great God in control of all things and in all things you are to be worshipped. 
There are no words to express our deep gratitude for the greatest gift of eternal life. Help us to get out of ourselves and use your time for your glory, for your people and for those that don't know you, that we are a people of purpose for you. Give us strength to show this in prayerful and practical ways, knowing with certainty that one day we will be with you in heaven. For we may be perplexed, but not driven to despair. We may be afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Father, we want to pray for all our nations at this time, for a massive reduction in casualties, for a vaccine to be produced in miraculous time, so that all people will know it is from you. You hear the prayers of your people. We want to pray, God, that other nations who are already struggling with poverty, violence and plagues of locusts that are happening right now in Ethiopia and on top of all this, the epidemic of the coronavirus, have mercy on them and show them your grace and love because we know that your love changes everything. What an amazing thing this is. We've all experienced this and we thank you. It is you that we can come to in every situation and crisis. For who else and what else do we have? Nothing satisfies but you. So Father God, as we spend this time now learning about you and getting to know you through your word, may the power of your word shine its light upon us and open our ears and hearts to what you want to say to us. Only in your precious name, Jesus, can we ask for these things. Amen. Uh, so now Hayden and Lisa Fox are going to come and read the Bible. Hello, everyone. And we're now going to um, read from God's Word with you. If you would like to read along with us, get out your Bibles um, and open them to Luke chapter 24. I'll be reading from verses 1 to 12, and then Lisa will read from verses 36 to 49. Luke 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, Suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Continuing on at verse 36. While they were still talking about this, 
Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in, the name, in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Well, good morning, everybody. I'd like to add my welcome to you this morning. Uh, my name's Stuart, and I'm going to be just spending a bit of time this morning looking at this passage that we've heard read for us today. Uh, it's a terrific thing to be celebrating Easter again, even though this is a different way to celebrate Easter. And this COVID crisis has meant that lots of things have changed in our society, not just the way we do church. There's a lot of commentators that I've seen commenting on the impacts of COVID-19. And as I've been listening to different uh, commentators about what they've been saying about it, I've been noticing a term that keeps coming up every now and again. It's the term a black swan event. Now, I'd never heard of a black swan event before until COVID came along. And so I've looked it up and apparently a black swan event is an unpredictable event that is beyond what is normally expected of a situation and has potentially severe consequences. Black swan events are characterized by their extreme rarity and their severe impact and widespread insistence that they are, were obvious in hindsight. So the idea is that COVID-19 is an unpredictable event, even though there have been other pandemics that have happened in the past. It wasn't as though we could say in 2020, we're going to get another pandemic. So it wasn't something we could predict. And it has severe consequences, as we are all very aware of. And the other thing about COVID-19 is that it's very rare. Uh, the last event that was like this, uh, I suppose, for Australians was back at the turn of the, the 20th century. So it's a very, very rare event, but it has a very severe impact as we're all experiencing. The interesting thing about these black swan events is that people argue in hindsight, they should have been predicted. Why haven't they been able to tell us this was coming? Why haven't they done a better job at fixing this up as it's come along? Well, this black swan event has got me thinking at this Easter about what happened with Jesus. When he was here with us, he lived a very ordinary life for the first 30 or so years of his life. He was a carpenter's son. He lived in a small little country town. He had a very happy family and he was very productive in his uh, community. And then when he started his public ministry, he revealed himself for who he really was. Now, Jesus came um, to the, the Jordan River. And when he went down to the Jordan River, his cousin, John, the Baptist was baptizing people and he was calling on people to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. Now, the Messiah is 
a word that means the saviour. So literally, John the Baptist was saying to the people of Israel of the time, one will come whose sandals I am not even worthy to untie. This one who is coming is going to surpass me, but he is going to come and surpass me because he will come to usher in the kingdom of heaven. And as he's preaching, Jesus comes down to the river. John recognises Jesus because, again, John is the cousin of Jesus. And Jesus comes down to the river where John is baptising. And Jesus says this uh, surprising thing. He says, John, will you baptise me? John has just been preaching that I'm not worthy to even untie this man's sandals who's going to come after me, this saviour who will come. Of course, he's talking about Jesus and how Jesus is coming to save the whole world. John has insight into this because he's a prophet. And John has insight into the fact that Jesus isn't just a normal human being. Jesus is fully man and fully God. God has come and dwelt amongst us. And now Jesus comes down to begin his public ministry as God's son amongst us, asking for John to baptise him. Now, John found that an awkward situation because John had been using this idea of baptism in the river where he was calling on the people of Israel to come down to the river so that he could baptise them by putting them under the water and bringing them up again. That was a symbol of the repentance of sin. So the people of Israel had this concept that human beings are fallen, that we're not born perfect and get corrupted by this world, but we are actually born sinful. The word sin is a technical term that means rebellion against God, that all human beings refuse to live their lives according to what God says, but actually prefer to live their lives according to what they think is right. And as a result, human beings have done a lot of damage. They have done a lot of damage to other people and even to the whole world around us. When Paul reflects on this in Romans 1, he says that the whole world groans under the weight of sin. And in this present time where we see this disease that is rampant amongst our populations, we can see this fallenness firsthand at this time. It's very clear to us that this world is not perfect. So Jesus has come. He's at the Jordan River and he's going to be baptised so that he can actually share with us this beautiful symbol, this symbol that is given to us as a sign that we repent of our sin. This is what John was calling the people of Israel to do. He was saying, come down, repent of your sin and prepare yourself for the Messiah. Now, after Jesus is baptized in Mark chapter one, verse 14, we get this beautiful recording of Jesus's first words as he begins his public ministry. His first words were that he had come to bring in the kingdom of heaven and to call on us to repent of our sins, to turn and put our faith in him, the one who is bringing in the kingdom of heaven. And now at the very end of the story, the end of the story that we celebrate this weekend, we can see how Jesus is bringing this kingdom into uh, being. Jesus has been showing through his teaching, through his miracles of healing, through his miracles of being able to control the weather, even being able to walk on water and calm storms, that he has the power to forgive sins. Now, on Friday, we remembered that Jesus was executed. And three days later, we presented with this scene where Jesus, the executed saviour, is now going to prove his authority to the world once and for all. He is going to rise from the dead. And in rising from the dead, he is going to defeat sin and death. And he's calling on all of us who have repented of our sins, who have turned away from our sins and said sorry for our sins, who put our faith in his death and resurrection as payment for our sins, he's going to offer us the same hope 
of resurrection that we see here today. Well, two of the women have come to the grave. And in Luke 24, verses 5 to 7, we see that they've been confronted by these two angels who are there at the tomb. As they've gone in to look for Jesus, they've come to prepare his body properly after the chaotic experiences of the last couple of days. Now they're taking a breath, coming to the tomb to actually wrap him properly in his grave clothes and, and put spices on him and attend to his body. But now the dignity of that moment has been dispelled by the fact that there are these two people at the site, at the site that they didn't expect to be there. And the women are frightened as if they haven't gone through enough, seeing Jesus executed so brutally, having to put his body in another person's grave. Now they're frightened. In verse five, in their fright, the women bowed down their faces to the ground. But the men said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. On Friday, Paul really helpfully talked to us about the fact that Jesus was completely in control during the whole of that terrible execution event. He was actually allowing himself to be nailed to that cross. He was allowing himself to be beaten and mocked and jeered at so that he could actually deliver us and save us. He was delivered over to the Romans so that he could deliver us from our sin. Because as I said, all human beings live with the weight of our own sin the guilt of the things that we have done wrong and the guilt of the things that we should have done that we haven't done. Jesus is willing on the cross to pay for all of those wrongdoings for us so that we do not have to be separated from God and we don't have to be punished for our sin, but we can have full forgiveness. And when we put our trust in Jesus, what the women are going to see here is the result is forgiveness and resurrection. Because Jesus conquers death, one day if we put our faith in Jesus too, we too will conquer death. In Luke 24, verses 9 to 12, we read this. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. Now in verse 10, it says that it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna and Mary, mother of James, and the others with them who told the apostles that Jesus has risen from the dead. But in verse 11, they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. How could Jesus have possibly resurrected? Yet we were told by the angel in verse 7 that Jesus himself had told them that he would be raised again. But they are just completely dumbfounded by this news. And in verse 12, however, Peter, despite the unbelief of the apostles, Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying there by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. So what has happened when Jesus has died and risen from the dead? What is the impact of that? Well, to help us to understand it a little bit more this morning, I want to go back to Friday again briefly. I want us to go back a little bit in the story, back to Luke chapter 23, verses 27 to 31. We pick up the story here just before Jesus goes to Golgotha to be executed. The Romans have already been beaten him, so much so that when he's carrying his cross to Golgotha, he can't carry it. He almost expires under the weight of the cross. So they get a, a man who's standing there, Simon, and they put the cross on him. And Jesus continues to walk towards Golgotha and Simon carries the cross behind him, dragging it along, a big, heavy wooden cross that's been made to hold up the full weight of a man until that man expires. 
Simon is carrying this cross and behind Simon comes the women, the women who are following Jesus. It says in verse 27, a large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. And Jesus turns to these women and he says, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if the people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? What Jesus is doing there is quoting from Hosea chapter 10, verse 8. In Hosea chapter 10, verse 8, the prophet Hosea is predicting a black swan event. He's predicting a rare and unfathomable, severe, terrible time. Such a terrible time for Jerusalem that childless women will be considered blessed. That women who have never born children will feel blessed that they don't have children at that terrible time to look after. There'll be people at that time, this terrible time, says Hosea, as Jesus quotes him, where they will say to the mountains, fall on us and cover us. And here Jesus is quoting Hosea. The proximity of a terrible event is about to befall Jerusalem. Jerusalem is about to execute the Son of God. And Jesus is warning them to not miss the import of this occasion. But not only that, he's also warning them about the future. Jesus is saying that there is a terrible time coming for these women that are following him and indeed the whole crowd that they cannot fathom or imagine. And in fact, in 72 AD, not only have the Romans occupied Jerusalem, they also crush and completely destroy Jerusalem as they're about to completely crush and destroy Jesus. And at that time, there was great weeping and mourning. But even more than that, Jesus is looking even further into the future, not just to 72 AD, but into the very end of time. Now, interestingly, to help us to understand this, John, the apostle, who has a revelation of heaven and these end times, talks to us about this very same black swan event that Jesus is pointing to in the future, in all of our future as well. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 16, this is what John says, They called out to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and the wrath of the Lamb. See, the first time Jesus comes to Jerusalem, he comes to save. He has spent his time in Jerusalem and in the whole of uh, the, the surrounding areas telling people that he has come to bring in the kingdom of heaven. Repent and believe the gospel and they'll be saved. But he's warning people as he is now, as he goes to the cross, if you do not trust in me and put your faith in me, then there'll be a terrible future awaiting you, a future of judgment and wrath. You see, Jesus predicted not only that he would be killed and he'd rise from the dead, but he also predicted that he will come again. But the second time he comes, he will come in judgment. The wrath of the Lamb is speaking here directly about the wrath of Jesus who is coming to end injustice. He's coming to end sinful behaviour that has hurt so many over so many, many generations. So in Revelation 6, 16, John is using Hosea 10, 8 as well to talk about a time that is coming where judgment will come, where sin will be finished and there will be no more evil because God will bring to an end all those evil things. However, the exciting news is 
that in Revelation 7, straight after that teaching, we see the hope that Jesus is offering to everybody on the same day that he dies. In verse 7 of Revelation, chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 7 of Revelation, verse 9, this is what John says. He says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands. And then in verse 13 to 17, John says to one of the elders, Who are these people? And the angel says to him, These ones you can see here in heaven, these ones in white robes, these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. In other words, what John is saying here is all those who listen to Jesus when he starts his ministry by saying, I come to bring the kingdom of heaven, repent and believe. If we believe in Jesus and we put our faith in him, we repent of our sin and turn away from our sin. If we stop wanting to serve our own needs and seek to follow God, and trust that Jesus has done everything for us so that we can be forgiven for our sin, the very blood of Jesus that drained out of him that day on the cross will wash us clean. And it'll be as though we are standing with white washed robes by the blood of the Lamb. It's interesting that the Christians that John sees here in heaven are singing, and this is what they sing. They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 16, never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd and he will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the great hope that Jesus has in mind as he goes to the cross. He's at once warning people of the coming judgment using Hosea chapter 10 verse 8. But he's also saying there's a way to escape that terrible day of judgment. Jesus is saying, I'm allowing my body to be broken in your place. I'm allowing my blood to be spilt so that you don't have to endure the wrath of God because of the sins that you've committed. I am willing to die for you. I am willing to do this for you. The work that Jesus does on the cross for us is so beautiful and so profound. Coming back to Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 39. After these dramatic events where the women have gone to the tomb and Peter's gone to the tomb, now Jesus comes to the disciples. And while they were dis discussing all of these things that they had reports of, Jesus himself comes and stands amongst them. And look what he says in verse 36. If you've got your Bibles open at home, have a look at verse 36. He says, peace be with you. There is no conflict between you and God if you trust in me, because I've done everything that needs to be done to take away the barrier between you and God. But they were startled and frightened, just as the women were when they saw the angels. But Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? Why do you have doubts rising in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I. Touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as I do. And then he goes on to eat a piece of fish to prove that he is actually risen from the dead with his resurrection body. He said to them in verse 44, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets. You see, Jesus has fulfilled what was to be. 
in verse 45. Then they opened their minds so that they could understand. Sorry, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Isn't that a wonderful phrase that Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures? That is my prayer for you today. That is my prayer for myself today too. That Jesus would open our minds so that we could believe that this is true. That yes, Jesus did live. He did die. And yes, he did rise from the dead. And by putting my faith in him and repenting of my sins, all I need to do is trust in Jesus because he's done everything I need to be at peace with God too. And that is so true for you as well. In verse 45, he goes on to say, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you've all been clothed with power from on high. We know that the disciples, after Jesus ascended back into heaven, waited in Jerusalem as they were asked to. And Jesus did share with them the Holy Spirit. And I pray that the Holy Spirit that was poured out on them that day will also help you today to realise that this is true and that you can put your faith in Jesus. And the black swan event of the wrath of God coming on the last day does not have to consume you, that you can escape that terrible, profound day by putting your trust in Jesus. One way. Thanks again for listening to the Soul Revival Church podcast. Just a reminder, if you want to watch any of these services that we hold live, you can go to soulrevivalchurch.com and you can see all the gatherings up the top of the page. You can choose anyone you wish. It can be on Friday, Saturday or Sunday. Thanks again and one way. Music is okay by Ixon.